watching this YouTube video and uh, and like the guy was going up to this there was it was two people a guy and a girl the guy was clearly one of those you know conservative gotcha people you know like man interviews feminists and uh, the video title was the one question that will undermine the feminist narrative and uh, you know and all the comments were clearly you know haha got him and uh, and and so the guy went up to this girl who was clearly a feminist uh, she, she had a beret and uh, and uh, you know the, the name tag and everything feminist and uh, he went look uh, you're a feminist right yeah can i uh, ask you a bit more about feminism he said, yeah sure the narrative of feminism is that men oppress women am i correct yes and then he went well what about this thing in uh, during the slave trade and during uh, during you know when when slave ownership was a thing he pointed out black men or black black men were oppressed by white women weren't they if you were to rank everybody and like where do, where do people stand in terms of social status all black men were under all white women doesn't that mean that um that men don't really oppress women and then and then a woman said no well yes and then she tried she tried to say something about intersectional intersectional feminism but as all conservative videos do they cut off there because you know you always have to have a bad guy and the bad guy can never say that piece but i think that that's a really good example of the difference between various forms of feminism right like the guy was in a way right he was you know he was a uh, whacking a version of feminism that was out there men oppress women and it, he did undermine the narrative of feminism he didn't annihilate or destroy feminism with facts and logic he just kind of did something to it and like i think that's what we're going to talk about today yeah so yeah i actually watched this um i know this video it's by muhammad hijab this Hijab's. is a real video yes okay, it's a real video this is a real video i i watched it oh. like before dinner you think you think i'll make it up hey, maybe it's maybe the algorithm gods are giving this video to everybody who like occasionally debates because this is one of those things that debaters see and they can't oh, resist oh really yeah yeah not oh, not you sam insinuating huh i think well yes it's true that there's various different strands of feminism and uh different individuals have different interpretations of it and are willing to defend different types or like different goals within feminism and what we're going to talk about today is how it applies specifically to malaysia or at least to third world countries in general since we cannot always mm-hmm. take the styles of feminism that we see in the west you know all that beyonce empowerment then like i mean yes it's great and all but does it really work in a third world country like ours i don't know active disclaimer all of us are from very heavily urban areas so we don't exactly have the exposure to the entire spectrum of malaysian society but yes, we'll try our the best metropolitan city of kuching the thriving uh, first world Uh, skyscrapers that okay yeah they enveloped the sky enveloped the sky in steel and bone yeah disclaimer we're we're all from like three of us are from kuching and sarawak and uh well i think we've all gone we've all we've all come pretty far from there okay no? so let's talk about the different strands of feminism um 
So we decided to talk about the different strands of feminism through the uh, different waves because arguably the different waves of feminism are the easiest way to categorize the different opinions um, that different feminists may have. So in the first wave, um, feminists dealt with enfranchisement as well as equal contract and property rights for women. This means having the right to vote and having the right to own a house um, and own property the same way Amanda's. It's not exactly too relevant in Malaysia because when we were given independence as well as the right to vote, the British did not exactly discriminate based on gender. But of course, the access to these rights are different for a man and woman. Um, but those factors are dealt with more strongly in the second and third wave. Um, the first wave focused on making sure that they're there. The second wave and third wave dealt more with the access. The second wave um, specifically dealt with cultural and political inequalities. So a good author on this topic is Betty Friedan, and uh, she wrote this book called The Feminine, Myst Feminine Mystique. So in it, she argues that it is okay for a woman to not feel fulfilled when you know, all they're doing is just child-rearing and homemaking because the social construct at the time was that you should be happy doing what you do. Uh, and it also sort of enforced the idea that women belonged in the kitchen or belonged in a home. So the second wave wanted to break this social construct. It's relevant to Malaysia because in certain areas, we're still trying to normalize education for girls as much as we do for boys. So this means that it's okay to send your, your woman, your woman pula, your girl, your girl pula, your daughter overseas to access education. It is uh, also about breaking the certain stereotypes that some career paths have. So like nurses aren't just a girl job and doctors aren't a guy's job. Um, you should be able to access both however you want and you should do whatever you want with uh, your future. Go and study. Go and get a scholarship. And do whatever job that makes you happy. Don't, uh, don't stay at home. It breaks the stereotype as well that a woman's main priority in life is to find a husband. So that's what the second wave de deals with. The third wave dealt with intersectionality and sex positivity. So an author about this issue would be Naomi Wolf. Um, she wrote about it in her book, The Beauty Myth. So it argues for the expressions of femininity and female sexuality in a way that liberates women. So it's relevant uh, internationally, uh, probably when we talk about Beyonce and Cardi B uh, with their provocative videos and Cardi B's song, you know, Wet Ass Pussy. So like many people would argue that this is bad for women because it objectifies them. Um, but the third wave says, no, you know, I can reclaim my sexuality. I can express myself however I want. Um, it's your job not to objectify us. We want to be proud of who we are. So it's relevant to Malaysia when we talk about uh, rape and catcalling, as well as the victim blaming associated with it. So if you don't want to be raped, if you don't want to be catcalled or sexually harassed, then you should dress less provocatively. Don't wear shorts, you know, don't wear any revealing clothes, cover up uh, your knees. And uh, yeah, so like these things are what third wave feminists argue against. Um, it's not about how we dress. It's about whether you can keep your stuff in your pants. Um, it's also relevant when we talk about violence against women. So 
Um, Ivy Jazaya is a leading feminist in Malaysia, and she has an organization that, um, you know, helps women find refuge from domestic violence. I guess this is also relevant when we talk about the weak legislation Mar Malaysia has when it comes to marital rape, because I think the current laws do not deal with the lack of consent, and that they only prosecute marital rape when it comes with a th with a threat of violence. While obviously the lack of consent is a very important issue. And third wave feminists will fight for that. Third wave feminism happened while second wave feminism was still going on. So, so you know, women still up to this day don't have uh, workplace equality. But third wave feminism recognized that beyond workplace equality, there are other fights. So I believe the catalyzing moment for third wave feminism was the Anita Hill hearings on sexual harassment. And uh, third wave feminism sort of starts to spread from the workplace and and general gender roles and workplace equality to the final points of what it means to have equality in society. You have your sexual harassments and the Me Too movement calling out sexual harassments. You have uh, Butler's gender performative theory that then opened up uh, uh, feminism to you know, transgender people and, uh, and non-binary people. You know, when we start asking things like, what does it mean to be a woman? Where did our ideas of women come from? Do we teach them to children? Are, they, are we born with them? And, and you know, are there women who have it even worse off than white women? Like, uh, like do men oppress women? Like from the story, from the, start, from the start, that's the sort of the narrative second and first wave feminism fought for. But third wave feminism sort of opened it up even further and said, actually, sometimes women oppress women. And uh, sometimes, you know, uh, women oppress men and feminists sometimes have to also fight for men you know when men are told to man up or uh, are sort of exposed to ideas of masculinity that might not be positive for their own growth or development and for the growth and development of others you know that's what third wave feminism ended up doing so what do you guys think about feminism having to happen in stages so like we cannot have third wave feminism unless we achieve the prior two stages so I, ian mentioned how third wave happened while th the second wave was still going on was that bad for the movement or is that bad for people in general? I think personally, I do think that, you know, skipping stages is something feminists can legitimately do. And, uh, you know, we don't always have to have feminism based around your core ideas of property values and democratic voting, right? These are ideas that the West had um, that were sort of core to the story or the narrative of the West. But in Malaysia, for example, um, women fight different fights. And sometimes the final points are points that are extremely important. For example, um, you know, the idea of hijab wearing, which Westerners don't completely don't really have to deal with. Um, you know, sexual harassment, for example, could be harmful, whether or not it is done onto women who are who are, who are getting equal pay in the workplace, for example. And a lot of the times, uh, Malaysia gets its feminism story completely reversed. So we never had a situation where women were unable to vote or were unable to, um, were, were unable to own property. We sort of skipped over first wave feminism really. And so feminism as an idea sort of descended upon us from the West and, so, and very often, sort of takes root in our own societies without any Western influence at all. Like there is a certain feeling that, you know, if we, if, uh, 
if certain you know, stories are being told, like you, if you study hard, you will do well in life. They should be told to everybody, not only the boys. Um, and I do think that you can essentially skip over stages of feminism if necessary, if your if your culture allows it, and you and you and you and you know you think that you'll benefit from it. For for a lot of us here, as for example, we kind of just jumped right into feminism without even understanding the waves, and we went, oh, so that's where they came from, right? Like we sort of accepted it as a wholesale package. You know, sexual harassment is very bad. Um, gender roles are bad, and especially those of us who never had to live through the three waves of feminism. It's like we learned it all as one package and we went, oh, so these are where the individual parts of the package came from historically, but we all took it as one package. Um, I, a very similar idea would be, you know, human rights. We learned that there are different human rights, you know, freedom from suffering, freedom to, for free and fair elections, freedom for, uh, for a fair trial if we are ever accused and freedom of speech but we never actually had to go oh so the fair trial comes from rome the election comes from greece we never really had to go and go okay here therefore we have to go for you know the greek method first and then the roman method and then the freedom of speech we sort of get human rights as this big package especially those of us who are born into a world where you know you know human rights are defended internationally by 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 organizations such as, such as you know the UN uh, and we and just sort of given them all as this sort of list and we go okay let's have all the human rights then instead of having to start off with some human rights and progress to others so Ian do you think there's ever a time when skipping stages even if it means hurting women on the ground do you think it's uh, justifiable? You think it's okay? Hmm. So let me help you out with that. Um, so I'll first steal man the argument and then I'll uh, refute it. So when you say hurting women on the ground, what I assume you mean is um, that skipping stages sometimes makes feminism feel weird, right? Like if you're going and asking for the most radical things like abolish gender, for example, which is a uh, which is a fight some feminists fight for, not all of them definitely, but some, or, uh, or you know, eradicate all color associations and you know, begin fighting for, um, for, for, you know, like micro changes, like changes in language, for example, right? Where we are trying to change things like, stop saying policeman, start saying police person, stop saying, stop saying um, you know, uh, actress, start saying actor, uh, these sort of fights which came really in the third wave when uh, and while you know the second wave was already doing fairly well and the third wave was trying to refine its benefits uh, and and so if doing these things and feminism that argues for these things doesn't end up arguing for earlier or more important things so think Maslow's hierarchy of needs right the most basic things are women not being beaten up, um, women, uh, you know, not uh, and not being um, kept out of education or 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 jobs altogether. Presumably, I'd say in that scenario, yes, but I don't see why that happens in all scenarios. So, you know you can tell a person actually, you know, here's why I personally think that you should stop 
saying mean things to women while also, also fighting for broad political goals altogether. You know, I don't think it, in all instances, feminism gets hurt when we do one and not the other. So what about in situations like, um, like more specific to Malaysia, uh, where some people in rural areas are arguing with their parents that they should be put like on a priority list or like they should be sent to school just like their brothers. Like, do you remember that Form 5 novel that we had with Dawan Kwai? Yeah, I know you guys remember Kwai. that. I know. Yeah, so uh, like... Uh, sing to the Dawn. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to read it again. Yes, so that book. Yeah, so we're, we're taking that and that's more like second wave feminism. You're, you're struggling to get the yeah. same rights as men. Um, but like mm-hmm. in other areas, more developed areas, even within the same state, you have people who are like, you know, who are for the slut walk, for example. Doesn't it hurt the movement when, I don't know, like some people have a negative view of the overall movement as a whole and then it affects other fights in the movement. Mm. I think I think there's a danger of that. The answer is just be very nuanced. Be very specific in explaining how you know, uh, certain feminists fight for certain things and how other feminists fight for other things. The slut walk movement has good points, right? You are trying to essentially erase the idea that sluts as compared to bachelor or a player or a, or a player, uh, for it, it, you know, the language that we use to describe women should not be unequal. And that is not that bad a claim, right? Like, you know, why is it okay to call a woman a slut? But when you call a guy a player, it doesn't have that same punch. It, it doesn't feel like an insult. That's a legitimate fight to have. And you can have that fight in cities for the most part. But I'm not entirely sure I see that much of a link between feminists fight for slut walk and therefore, I should not send my child to school, right? The link isn't always that strong. And uh, if the link ever is there, so like how you know the conservatives in the comment section of the YouTube video were essentially saying, yes, feminism is undermined now that I've got them on this one point. Because you know when you're trying to fight against a social movement, you, you find any reason that you can say, I hate these people. The answer to that, I think, for the feminist movement is to say, is to be very, very nuanced and to say, Look, um, that's another wing of the fight. Sure, that's another thing. That's another conversation we can have about feminism. Right now, we're talking about your daughter, and she now has really high grades, and your son is a kind of a sack of potatoes. So why not send your daughter to school instead? But for a lot of these people that are that find feminism as an idea very weird, um, accepting feminism is an ideal. Isn't really about accepting certain bits of feminism. I think. In many cases, especially in developing nations, they see it as one whole package. And like you can see this in Malaysia where they talk about westernization and they treat the West as like this entire set of policies that you need to follow, even though mm. there's multiple nuanced areas where they can it can function, right? Like, do you think in that context, traditional people or like conservative people within developing nations like Malaysia? you think it's possible for them to accept these bits of feminism? Mm, I think uh, I think that is an issue with language and the way we label things really. Because a lot of the times we have a habit of naming big issues and 
and sort of judging one part of the issue based off others. And the ability to be nuanced, at least I personally think, is that. And the ability to say, look, um, this is one part of our fight. That's another part of our fight. Right now, we're talking about this part. So uh, a good example of this would be, a good example of this going wrong <laughs> would be in America, where Republicans and Democrats have, Democrats, Democrats have big platforms. You know, you could have a, you have a, you could have a Democrat who fights for uh, abortion rights. You could have a Democrat who then fights for uh, gun reform and equal wages, or no, and minimum wages, I beg your pardon, and higher taxes on the rich. A conservative would go, haha, you fight for abortion and therefore you're evil. And then, and then, and then even if I'm a, con even if I'm a sort of, is, it, is, there even, is there even such a thing as a centrist now? Even if I'm a centrist or a fence sitter in America and I sort of, go, oh yeah, I actually agree with the Democrat. We ought to tax the rich more and we ought to get rid of the guns. They, they might kill my son or my daughter. I really feel strongly about the abortion thing. And so I go, you know what? I'm just not going to vote for the Democrat or I even voted for the conservative person. So if accepting feminism were this sort of binary yes or no, then maybe it would be very dangerous for us to actually go, um, oh yeah, you, uh, you, in order to accept feminism, you have to do all of these things. But accepting feminism, I feel, isn't something you do overnight with one big switch and go, I'm a feminist now, right? You be, you, you be a feminist or you perform parts of feminism based off your person. Uh, I am more of a feminist when I'm nicer or at least not, uh, when I'm not a horrible man to women. And I'm more of a feminist when I don't, uh, when I, when I don't uh, look at, you know, uh, po uh, a politician who's female and go, oh, you know, they won't be able to do the job. I'm more of a feminist. And so maybe even if it doesn't get them, even if it makes sure that, even if they don't end up going, I'm a feminist now, it will, it still allows them to go, okay, I'm more of a feminist when I let my kid go to school or I support, you know, women getting to school or even though, even though I recognize some parts of the movement are going too far. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit ironic that um, our first episode is on feminism and all three of us are, our guys um but hopefully like this will normalize this will hopefully normalize the um the idea of having men talk about women's issues as well and being open enough to sort of acknowledge the kind of troubles that they're going through especially like when we're talking about different strands and how they might conflict with each other like mm -hmm. fighting for equality is already so hard uh, for women but i'm going to make a limited resources argument of sorts so basically, this is about clout. Um, so if we have like, hypothetically, if we had a slut walk movement in KL and a lot of the attention given to women and the feminist movement in general, on social media, on the news or in public forums, whatever, um, would be focused on the slut walk movement. And if we had like leading feminists in Malaysia, like talking more about the slut walk movement, focusing on female empowerment through how they dress and uh, normalizing uh, women being able to make the choices that they want, like sexually express themselves however they want. Um, how would this play a part on the amount of resources or attention that should be allocated to making sure all women get equal education or have the ability to access certain loans, getting a scholarship, getting a job? Wouldn't this be a diversion of all of like the resources or attention? So let me first help your argument a bit. Um, one good example of how this has occurred 
is uh, the LGBTQIA rights movement in Malaysia. The, the thing about queer empowerment, um, internationally at least, is that it has often been based off the, well, sort of overcoming of repression and overcoming of shame, really. And, uh, and, it, and so you've had the Stonewall riots fighting for pride and fighting for the right to be seen and to express one's sexuality openly as compared to having a more repressed society. However, in the, in, in, however, internationally, as in Malaysia, for example, this sort of coverage of the queer community has meant that the conservative society especially links being queer with this specific lifestyle, which is not necessarily a link you can draw logically, right? Like it's not like the moments you are attracted to men and you are a man, you suddenly enjoy like, you know, flaunting it on the street, you know, that's the general you know that's this general association that conservatives often draw but isn't necessarily true the danger of what i think you're arguing for is that women or feminism might end up turning up to be the same way where because or if feminism ends up being about this sort of open expression of female sexuality and um, the, the more even the more finer parts of um, the feminist movement which seem even more alien to conservatives, this will then ensure that conservatives link feminism with the most extreme or extreme or the most alien possible parts of it in their eyes. Uh, in my view, it depends. So in order for that to happen, you know, the story you told had to, have, had to have a couple of parts, right? Part number one, the feminist movement does that. Part number two, feminist scholars or feminist figureheads in Malaysia end up talking about that rather than anything else. And part number three, conservatives end up buying into it. I think that it is a possible scenario. Like, I'm not saying it cannot happen, but in order for that not to happen, in, in order for us to be able to get the sort of, um, the sort of discussions about female sexuality going, which, I, which um, would still be valuable in furthering the feminist movement, you might want to try to break the links between number one and number two, for example. While the main, while major feminist figureheads might acknowledge the issue and the attention it draws to feminism, you can also point out, look, this, this is important, but here's another feminist issue in Malaysia, right? And um, you can point out, for example, the, the very, very pressing concerns that women often face in Malaysia, such as, um, you know, child rights or such as, you know, female genital mutilation or also known as female circumcision, that is still a practice being done in Malaysia. And they could also point out things like, you know, educational opportunities for women in Malaysia. You know, these are all of the other fights of feminism that I don't think that feminist figureheads would suddenly stop talking about the moments, uh, you know, a slut walk happens. And um, I also, this is going to sound a little bit condescending, but conservatives might end up just going, aha, they did something wrong, and therefore I don't have to accept this new idea. And to a certain extent, that is something that, you know, conservative conservatives and enjoy doing really finding any excuse to go i don't want to believe in this um but uh our my answer is simply be very careful about what about whether or not that slut walk ends up becoming the only part of the movement and also really uh you know whether or not slut walks are really the only way to go right like that's one but you know Third wave feminism has way more things than slut walks, which are very valuable and could still be included, right? Like calling men out for catcalling, sexual harassment, um, 
you know, uh, changing language in a way that is more like individual rather than confrontational. Like, okay, um, hey, haven't you ever thought about how weird it is that you know we use the word sluts as compared to you know the bachelor? All of these things don't have to be violent or open displays that you know conservatives will go, aha, uh -huh, see, you're doing something wrong. But they could also be you know more inclusive, and feminism could be about you know making lives better, lives better for everybody really, and you know. And uh, that's something feminism could also do. Yeah, I guess to be fair, we, we're not really in danger of like, uh, well, I wouldn't say exactly in danger, but like third wave feminism to the extent of like supporting the slut walk movement isn't really yet apparent in Malaysia. I think leading feminists in Malaysia would probably be like Nurul Iza Anwar and Marina Mahate. And at least by Western standards, they're still fairly conservative. Um, they're not extremely liberal to the point where they are all out for that, you know, Cardi B, Beyonce kind of female empowerment. <laughs> WAP. Yeah, WAP. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knew, I, I knew it was going to come up somewhere. Of course, I freaking love that somewhere. song. Of course you would. Oh my god. And and this is where second wave feminism feminists will go, aha, uh -huh, you're objectifying women and Cardi B will be going, No, I'm objectifying myself. It's okay. It also depends on consent line. Like she consents to it and she's openly saying, you know, this is my sexuality, I'm owning it. So Yeah, so I, I don't really think that at least in Malaysia, we don't really have a problem with the hijacking of a feminist narrative especially since all of the different waves that are present in Malaysia don't necessarily contradict or conflict with each other. At least not yet. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen anything mm -hmm. where people are just against feminism. Like, not at least, not outright at least. Um, but obviously, we have a lot of barriers uh, preventing women achieving equality or equity in many areas. But, mm -hmm. yeah, so... Any final verdict? Should we be supporting third wave feminism in Malaysia? Should we let it be how it is, the third wave that it is? Or should we just say, let's focus on ensuring everybody has the same third? So basically, we talked about how there are different waves of feminism, um, and specifically how some of those waves are very relevant to Malaysia, especially when we look um, at the geographical distinction in multiple areas in Malaysia. And then we also talked a little bit about whether they should exist in stages, whether we can have these different waves coexist and whether they conflict with each other or not. Yeah, so I personally still think that feminism should uh, go forward in stages. So I think there are quite a lot of ideas like supporting this factor in today's like, discussion. So one of them was this idea of limited resource and that people can only subscribe to certain ideas of what a movement look, looks like and therefore you need to prioritize the more important things like um, whether or not women get enough money to like sustain themselves without the need of depending on their husbands right so these sorts of ideas obviously hold more um, weight in terms of um, the options that they give to women and the freedom that women are afforded through these sorts of fights. So I still think that while it, in a more opportune, like in a more opportune world, Malaysia will probably be able to fight for all these things at the same time. I still think, don't think that the feminism, feminism movement 
should be able to deprioritize these fights in order to fight for something like such as the slut walk movement, right? Um, other than that, there's also a danger, particularly in Malaysian politics. That's another discussion that we're going to have in a later episode. But there's a tendency for people to paint certain movements as a singular idea and attach all sorts of fights that you fight movement pegged on that one singular idea. So we see this, we painted you like the example of like westernization, right? Where um, we take certain bits of culture of like very hedonistic bits of Western civilization and we demonize it. And we say that all parts of Western civilization are like this. If we have a feminism movement that supports the slut walk, obviously many members of conservative societies that are religiously backed and which have a lot of relevance, especially in conservative areas in Malaysia, will directly link feminism as an ideology to solely be about this one single idea which they find unacceptable. And you and I win because <laughs> because I have more faith in humanity. Uh, I think that uh, we ought to not progress in waves. I think that we should fight every single fight that we can because you know the trick isn't to try and get more people to say I'm a feminist. The trick is to get more people to do things that are feministic. And uh, you know, you can still fight for educational equality while at the same time having um, movements that fight for you know, uh, beneficial things for women all across the board, not being sexually harassed and not having, uh, you know, not having asymmetrical language or, or, uh, or toxic forms of masculinity. All of these are uh, fights that I think people can still you know, argue for without necessarily hurting the feminist movement as a whole. And even if we get to a situation where, you know, a conservative person is more hesitant to say, I am a feminist because feminist ends up becoming this big revolutionary package really that includes all of these things which conservative people might not be comfortable with. I think the arguments persuading them to send their children to school or to support equal wage would still work regardless of whether there were um, strands of other ideas attached to them. And that's why I think, and that's why I think that you know, fighting on all fronts is a good idea. So that's it for today. I hope you guys learned something new or at least hopefully understand the arguments that people make or you make yourself a little bit better and you're able to like take part in discussions a little bit more confidently. And hopefully it will also help you make better decisions um, and have a better idea of what feminism is about in Malaysia. So that's it for today. Um, we'll be back really soon. I don't be a dumbass.